0: This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at ccclamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, uh, we are going to get back into the gospel of Mark after taking a Week off last week. This week we are in Mark chapter 12. We'll finish chapter 12 uh, this week as we look at verses 28 through 44. Um, looking at a uh, the first part of this being a very familiar passage of scripture for those of us that are familiar with the New Testament. And the title of this message is The Law of Love. Uh, and I think if you've been watching, if you've been uh, going through this series through Mark, and you've been paying attention. You're going to hear some themes, uh, some common themes again. Um, it's going to be a little bit repetitive. I think I said this a couple weeks ago, uh, because the um, these themes of law versus love, and these themes of Jesus being truly the Messiah, the Son of God, and so much more than just a a healer or a teacher or a prophet. Um, these uh, these themes of of uh, Following, truly following after God in Christ Jesus, um, they just come over and over again. Um, but we are also moving to the climax of Mark's Gospel uh, as we head toward um, as we head toward, uh, the cross and as we head toward resurrection and the, and the, uh, the end of his gospel, but really the be- that's the real beginning of the story. So we've got a few more weeks uh, to go through this, and I would encourage you, if you haven't, to take some time to just read through the gospel of Mark on your own. It's not a real long book. You could read through the whole thing in probably uh, half an hour, depending on how fast you read. But again, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 44, as we talk about the law of love. And uh, as we continue in this time of separation and uh, this time of shutdown due to the coronavirus pandemic, um, it's not news to any of us that there's mounting tensions, um, uh, and especially in regard to the stay-at-home uh, mandate. Uh, there's the tension between the concern uh, for the ongoing loss of life due to the virus versus the concern for the ongoing loss of livelihood due to the shutdown. And man, that's really, people are taking sides and um, sort of really digging in their heels, sharing all sorts of things on social media. News stations are taking sides on that. And uh, I don't pretend to know all the answers. I just know that there's, it sounds like a no-win situation to me. And I would hate to be a decision maker right now. Um, But those tensions are real. And they're coming out of a place of uh, and I think we have to be careful not to demonize each other if we have different views, because I think people really care. They care about the loss of life regarding the virus, and they care about the loss of livelihood. And um, so we just—it's a—it's a call for us to really seek the Lord in prayer. But those tensions are mounting, and they're there. Um, and then uh, the other one that's really in regard to that—that's sort of gaining traction—is the concern over. Uh, whether we uh, should be wearing our masks, uh, you know, that we've been asked to wear uh, in public. And uh, there are those that uh, think that's a reasonable, rational thing to ask us to do to protect each other. Uh, there's others that uh, see it as a sign of weakness and, uh, and it's sort of giving in to government control. Um, and, uh, and again, people taking sides on that and sort of uh, really going at it on either side. And in the midst of all of this, I think it is so appropriate, it's such an appropriate time to arrive at this specific, familiar passage in the Gospel of Mark and to talk about the law of love. Um, Again, we're looking at Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. I'm not going to read the whole passage, I'm going to read the first passage, and then we're going to talk about the, the passages after the initial one. So, um, I'm sorry, it's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 44. We're going to read just through verse uh, 34. Um, and for most of you, this will be a very familiar passage, but I want you to hold those tensions in your mind and really be honest with yourself, or we should, I should say, I want us to be honest with ourselves about sort of where we are in that and what our motivations are in the midst of all of that. Um, and, uh, and hear uh, these words from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and also, this is um, coming right on the heels of Jesus being confronted by the Sadducees. Remember, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection and told Jesus this whole weird story about this poor woman who had seven husbands and none, none of them gave her any children, and you know, whose wife would she be in the resurrection, and Jesus takes them to task and tells them that they're wrong because they don't know the scriptures, and they don't know the power of God, and basically shut them down. Um, and so now it's, it says in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard this debate. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, this religious leader said, uh, um, asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, and this is the part where many of us are so familiar with. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that this man had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. We want to talk about the law of love uh, and what Jesus means by that and then see some, some positive and negative examples through the rest of the passage that we didn't read right now. There's notes, uh, physical notes that should have been emailed to you and there's also digital notes through the Uversion Bible app and if you want to follow along that way you can, but here's the central thought for this morning thinking about getting in on the good news, because that's the title of the whole series through the Gospel of Mark that we've been going through. We get in on the good news when we follow Jesus in the way of, or the law of, authentic and costly love of God and neighbor, rather than the way of religious ceremony and pious posturing. We get in on the good news when we follow Jesus in the way of or the law of authentic and costly love of God and neighbor rather than the way of religious ceremony and pious posturing. So at the beginning of this passage, this very familiar passage that we've heard where Jesus is asked in all three of the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story is in all three where Jesus is asked by a religious leader, what is the greatest commandment? And just as a quick reminder, by the time Jesus comes along, there are over 630 commandments that the Jews are supposed to observe uh, consistently and daily. Uh, And that includes all of the commandments in the the Old Testament, in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, plus a whole bunch that they'd added uh, between the Testaments. And so it's a loaded question. Out of all of those things, what's the greatest one? They think they're going to put Jesus on the spot. Uh, And he grabs these two passages from two different places in the Old Testament and says, basically, the first and greatest commandment is to love God with everything you've got, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, One of the ways to think about that is in Jewish uh, way of thinking, repetition uh, or adding those things is, is like repetition. It's like saying, love God, love God, love God, love God. But then he goes right on to say, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that really, if you think about it, makes sense, because we can't see God. And so how do we express our love for God, other than maybe singing songs and praying prayers, but the real way we express our love and devotion to God is how we treat our neighbors. And so what we see right off the bat here under the law of love is that love is essential, and religion is peripheral and deceptive. What's unique about this passage in Mark is that the religious leader responds to Jesus after Jesus gives his, his answer to the question, and the religious leader affirms what Jesus says, and he adds, uh, let me make sure I say it right, he adds to that, and he says, um, and to love your neighbor, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, if you think back, as Jesus has come into Jerusalem, we've seen him uh, go into the temple and exert his authority over the temple and flipping over the tables and doing things and saying things that show he's in charge of the temple and that really the time of the temple has come to an end. And now he has a religious leader, one of the teachers of the law, basically agreeing with him. If the greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself, and in one of the other versions of the story, it says all the law and the prophets are summed up in those two things, then all the other religious stuff isn't really necessary. Just like the man says, it's, it's greater than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, or it's more important. So we see that if we call ourselves followers of Christ, if we call ourselves those that are, that are uh, devoted to God and love God, that love is essential, and religion is Uh, religious ritual, the things we do that we would think of religious, they are peripheral, and they're even and often deceptive. Because let's be honest with each other, there have been more heinous things done in the world throughout history in the name of God and even in the name of Jesus that have nothing to do with love, and they have to do with people hiding behind religion and using religion as something that divides instead of something that empowers us to love God and prove that love by love of neighbor. Love is essential. Religion is peripheral and often deceptive. Reminds me of Paul's uh, famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 that begins, "'If I speak in the tongues of men and angels,' But but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong, excuse me, or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's so incredible. Those are all things that we value, the wisdom uh, of of being able to speak in the uh, tongues of men and angels, to to understand prophecy and to have all this wisdom, and even even sort of to be a martyr, to offer myself up. I can do all those things from a place of pride uh, and religious posturing and not really out of a heart of love. Love is essential. Love, Christ-like love, Empowered, the Holy Spirit empowered love is what is essential. Now, this passage in Mark moves on from this place to uh, another passage that's a little less familiar, and uh, we see seen all through the Gospel of Mark Jesus being peppered with questions by the various religious leaders of his day, and they're always trying to trap him and trick him. And he just over and over again, he proves his brilliance and he proves his authority, uh, and just makes him look silly again and again with his answers. But now the tables get turned, because now, uh, after Jesus answers the religious leader's question, he asks a question of his own, and really, it's a riddle. And he says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he, uh, he starts to talk about King David. And um, in, in the Jewish history, King David was the greatest king. He was the prototypical king. And he was the foreshadowing of the, of the king that was going to come that would be the Messiah that was going to be the final king that was going to set everything to right. And Jesus says this. He says, um, he asked them a question. He says, why did the teachers of the law say that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior from God, that the Jews were waiting for. Why do they say that he is the son of David? David himself, speaking of the Holy Spirit, declared, and now he quotes from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And it says the crowd heard this and they were delighted because the religious leaders had no idea how to answer him. This is an interesting passage. So he says, he says if, 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 the, if the Messiah is David's son, how can this be when he says, the Lord said to my Lord? The first word Lord in Hebrew there in your Bible is probably all in capital. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And it's the, it's the translation of the word Yahweh that always refers to God. It's like the personal name of God. So the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord. That second word in Hebrew is Adonai, which is more of a general term for Lord or Master or someone who is over us. And so David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit hundreds of years before Jesus, says this. He's thinking about his descendants, and he says, the Lord God said to my Lord, someday I'm going to put your enemies under your feet. And the interesting thing is that the the ancestor would never speak of one of his descendants, and would never use the term Lord, the term Master. That would be the other way around. We would we venerate our ancestors. We would consider consider them the Lord and the Master. So it's this whole riddle: if uh, if he's the son of David, why does David call him Lord? And um, and what we discover in this is that. Um, Jesus is challenging the Jewish leaders' historical and religious expectations. They're assuming that the coming Messiah is going to be just a normal descendant of King David and is going to operate in the normal ways of the world. Most specifically, is going to be somebody that comes in violence to kick out their final enemies, in this case the Romans, and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And what we discover in this is Jesus keeps asserting that he is indeed the Messiah. He is in his human, human lineage the son of David, but he is also the Lord of David because he is truly the son of God. Jesus is the Lord of love who exceeds and upends our trusted traditions and our religious expectations. When we talk about the law of love, when, when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, what we, would, what we will discover if we're honest with ourselves, even if we have a desire to live that way, we don't have the capacity to do it. As 1 Corinthians talks about, even our best efforts are tainted with pride uh, and are tainted with um, with uh, just all sorts of things that lessen the quality of them and lessen the quality of their love. And what we need to hear is that Jesus is, comes to us from outside human history, and he enters into human history. He becomes the son of David, a descendant of David, but he is also and most fully the son of God. And he is the one that perfectly, exam, uh, perfectly models what godly love looks like. He models perfectly love of God and love of neighbor. And it's through our faith in him and being filled by his Holy Spirit that we find the capacity begin to begin to really enter into that. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our religious understandings. Jesus upends all of that, and he calls us not to a religion, but he calls us to himself the one who is greater than the temple, the one who is greater than uh, than, uh, David. Matthew, In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus says at verse 6, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here, speaking of himself. If you had known what these these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent, speaking of himself again, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus just radically, in a ways that's causing the original hearers, his Jewish hearers, blowing their minds. Is just elevating himself over the temple, over the Sabbath, over all of the David, Moses, everybody. He is the great one. He is the epitome of the love of God. And he is the one that teaches us how to love. So that's the riddle that Jesus shares, and that's, that's trying to help us understand where that comes from, the idea, because love is essential, and all this religious stuff is secondary and deceptive. And then he goes on to talk about, the, he goes right from this, and he begins to talk about the rest, all of the religious leaders and the teachers of the law. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes or as we saw earlier, big hair and funky suits and lots of makeup. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for a show and for a show make lengthy prayers. Listen to this. These men will be punished most severely. And when we think about the law of love and we think about uh, religious people, which most of us are, and religious leaders, which I am, we discover from Jesus here that the loveless practice of religion is the gravest evil. The loveless practice of religion is the gravest evil. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, so much of religion in the world today, whether it's Christian or some other brand of religion, claiming to be about God and claiming all of those things uh, is loveless. It's it's pr- uh, personally motivated. It's, it's uh, selfishly motivated. It's used to separate and to oppress, and that's what was happening in the day of Jesus, and he takes the religious leaders of his day directly to task. He calls them out for their hypocrisy, for their showmanship, and he says that they're They're abusing widows, and they're not doing the things that matter. The loveless practice of religion is the gravest evil. Reminded of the words of the prophet Amos, Amos chapter 5 and verses 21 through 24, that uh, Martin Luther King, King Jr. made famous at one time. He says, I have, I hate, he doesn't say I dislike, he doesn't say they bother me, he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, though you sing me beautiful worship songs, though you tithe all of your money, I will have no regard for them. I just added those couple extra things there. It says, Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll, down, roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Love is essential. Jesus is the king of love. And religious that is loveless is a grave evil and will be judged most harshly, Jesus says. And then finally, this passage ends with a really beautiful, unexpected little, passage, uh, little story, where it says that Jesus was sitting opposite the entrance of the temple with his disciples and followers, and when you went into this location, there was a place where you could put in your tithes and your offerings. And uh, they had these things that were sort of shaped like trumpets that you'd uh, throw the money in, and it would sort of go down inside, and it would make noise. And um, it says the crowd was putting their money in as they went by, and it said many rich people threw in large amounts of money. And you can imagine it, a large amount of money, because most of it was, co- I think it was all coin money at that time, would make a lot of noise. Um... And uh, they'd throw their money in and they would keep going. Um, But it says in verse 42 that, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. The actual Greek word here is identifying the smallest coin, very, very small, um, worth only a few cents. And she dropped those in and nobody heard that sound. It made no, nobody recognized what she did. It was worthless in man's view, made no difference. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. It's a really powerful, beautiful story. when we're thinking about the law of love, when we're thinking about love of God and love of neighbor, we discover that that kind of love isn't flashy. That kind of love doesn't draw attention to itself. That kind of love um, uh, is humble, and it's faithful, and it's true. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this about our giving in particular our acts of service, our acts of uh, charity. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think we need to think about that for a minute when we think about uh, the law of love. Um, I, I don't see any of us in our church services when we're together. People don't stand up and say, hey, look at me, I'm giving $1,000. And um, people, we're, we're, we're savvier than that, and I think we're, we have a better understanding than that. But it's really a good time to sit and think about, but yeah, but why do I do certain things the way I do? Am I looking for attention from other people? Am I looking for affirmation uh, for what a good person I am or for what I've given or what I've done? When we think about the law of love, we need to recognize that true love isn't flashy, and it doesn't draw attention of its, in itself. And as we consider this widow, the second thing and the last thing is this, that love, godly love, Christ-like love, and Holy Spirit-empowered love that comes from outside of us, uh, from the God through Christ, is love that gives everything, and it's all that matters. It's greater than all of the religious sacrifice, all of the offerings that we could give. Love gives everything, and it's all that matters. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. That's a funny scripture for us today. We don't talk about that. But the, the, the act of male circumcision was the physical mark that separated from the, Jew, the Jews from all, everybody else on the planet. It was hugely important to them. And here comes Paul in the footsteps of Jesus saying none of that stuff matters. None of that religious stuff matters. Even marks on your body doesn't, it says it, Paul says it doesn't have any value. The only thing that counts is faith, not just faith in general, but faith in God, faith in Christ, is faith expressing itself through love. Brothers and sisters, can we hear the word of the Lord today? Can we reflect on the law of love? Can we submit anew to the king of love, Jesus Christ? And in this time where tensions are high and people are taking sides, can we make sure that our hearts are truly devoted to the Lord, truly submitted to him? allowing him to come in and rearrange our lives, to soften our hard hearts, to calm our fears, to be drawn up into the great love of God that is shown so clearly in the life and the work of Jesus Christ. Can we open our hearts to his Holy Spirit so that we can focus on really loving the way he's called us to and not get caught up in the banter, not get caught up in the villainization of those who disagree with us, but learn to walk in the, under the law of love and follow the king of love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word this morning. Lord, you, just as we read the story of your life recounted by Mark and his gospel, it's just incredible. You're, you're brilliant, you're beautiful, you're passionate, you're funny, you're amazing. But more than anything, you are the you are the new human. You, are the, you have recaptured humanity, and you have walked truly and faithfully in love. You have fully fulfilled the law of God, the law of love. And you have called us to follow you in that way of love. And you haven't just called us to follow you, but you've promised to forgive our sins and fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can actually literally begin to walk in that way. Lord, we won't do it perfectly like you But you're gracious and you're kind and you're patient and we can keep turning back to you. We can repent of sinful, selfish ways. We can repent of the ways we get caught up in the tensions in the world and we can come back under your loving authority and we can continue to learn what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves, Or as we like to say here, Lord, that we can learn to live for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Lord, make it so in our lives on a daily basis, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.